A friend shares the secrets of her heart with another friend. And today, God offers us friendship with Mary because a veil is lifted before our eyes for us to see the hidden secrets of her immaculate heart. What we see is a pure heart offering sacrifice in union with her son, Jesus Christ. This beautiful and luminous mystery invites us to join the Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross in friendship, offering our hearts along with her to the Lord, that we too might be purified and pierced by the sword. Simeon prophesied in the Holy Spirit, lifting the veil of the mysterious inner life of Mary, the Mother of God. He preached, you yourself a sword will pierce. And in our English translation, we lose sight of the word he's using. He's saying yersuke, this Greek word meaning the center of one's being, their very soul, their mind, or what we commonly say, the heart. It is this part of Mary that will be pierced. And so this is not a description of some sentimental feeling. It's rather that the gospel portrays a staggering and earth-shattering revelation that suffering will plunge itself into the very depths of our spiritual mother. In the mystery of the presentation in the temple, or also known as the purification of Mary, the Holy Spirit is present. He's all over this mystery. He's in Simeon. He's orchestrating everything. And so if we were to look to the setting where this mystery takes place, and also the inspired words of Simeon, we gain a deeper view into what's happening. Even the grammar of Simeon matters here. But to talk first about the setting, we see that this prophecy of Mary's heart being pierced happens in Jerusalem. And what Mary and Joseph are doing is following the prescriptions of the law of the Lord or the law of Moses, that is the Torah, And so they're required to be righteous. They're required to bring their child, to present him in the temple, and also to offer sacrifice for the purification of Mary. In the book of Leviticus, in chapter 12, if you're so inclined to go read that book, it's not everyone's favorite, I understand. Um, But you see, laid out, what's required. And what's asked is that two sacrifices of two animals be made. And the first is supposed to be a yearling lamb, a young lamb that's meant for a burnt offering. So it's dangerous to use the word holocaust because we have a history with that word in the 20th century. But the holocaust offering in ancient Israel in the temple was a burnt offering in which no part of the victim was left. It was all set ablaze for the glory of God. It's all handed over to him for his glory. And the second animal, the second sacrifice was a sin offering, and it was required that it be a a pigeon, young pigeon, or a turtle dove. And that was meant for the purification of the mother. So 40 days after the birth, the mother was to be purified by sacrifice. But there's an exception 
written into the law for those who can't afford the yearling lamb. For the poor, poor folk, they could offer two young pigeons or two turtle doves. And that's precisely what we see Mary and Joseph bringing to Jerusalem. And so we see that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were a poor family. Yet they weren't without riches. Because there's one more detail prescribed is that the first thing that happens in this ritual is that the animals for sacrifice are handed over to the priest um, at the meeting tent. So that refers back to the wandering in the desert. So this would be at the entrance of the temple as well. But we don't see Mary handing over the two turtle doves. What do we see? We see Simeon taking into his hands this holy and righteous man filled with the Holy Spirit. He takes into his hands the Christ child, the one we call the Lamb of God. You see, he is the purifying sacrifice. He is the lamb meant for the burnt offering. And he is the one who takes away the sins of the world. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So in this image in the Jerusalem temple, we see that Christ is that rich gift which Mary hands over. It's her very flesh and blood that she gives to Simeon. And we understand that this is really the foreshadowing of what happens at Calvary because Simeon continues and prophesies. He says that this child is destined for the fall and rise of many. He begins to preach about the crucifixion. And he speaks to Mary in a peculiar way. And this is where I'm going to get into some of the linguistics and grammar. That's not too much. Please follow with me because there's a payoff. So as he's prophesying about Christ's crucifixion, his sacrifice, the sign of contradiction, he interrupts his sentence and inserts a parenthetical phrase directed directly to Mary using the second person singular. He says to her, you... Right? And so his prophecy about her heart, the center of her being, is precisely in the center of his prophecy about the crucifixion. He says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. Pause. He turns from looking at the Christ child and directly at Mary, and he says, and you yourself, a sword will pierce. He pauses again. He turns back to Christ. He says, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This structuring of the message is meant to indicate to us that Mary participates in the passion of Jesus, and she does so for our sake. The catechism teaches us Excuse me. The catechism teaches us that Mary had no need of purification. She was immaculately conceived, without sin, full of grace, spouse of the Holy Spirit. But in obedience to the law, she makes a purifying sacrifice on our behalf. 
You see, she's offering her pure heart that we might be made pure. And she does so in union with her son. And simply like trusting in the providence of God and obeying the law and being a righteous Israelite. We're given this phenomenal gospel in this feast where we see this union between the mother of God and our Savior. And we ourselves are invited into that. But before I get to there, there's the mention of the sword. So there's a question of what is the sword? Um, So there's many interpretations by the church fathers. It is a true mystery. But the word of God is unlike our speech, right? We tend, if you're a great poet, maybe you can intend one or two, three meanings with a singular phrase, a singular word. But you see, when God speaks realities, when he speaks through prophecies, the meaning is inexhaustible. And so we see something of that in this mention of the sword. So some traditions speak of it as being simply a one-to-one correspondence between the lance that pierced Christ's side, entering into his most sacred heart, and Mary, in union with that heart, being pierced by the sword. So a mystical union. Another is simply her grief. The tremendous sorrow she has at seeing her son crucified, mocked and ridiculed, and left for dead. St. Ephraim, the Syrian, speaks of the sword as the sword that guards the entrance to the Garden of Eden, right? the gate of paradise. And so he says, this sword is Mary removing the guard. She opens the gate of heaven to us. That's why we refer to her as the Yanuacelli, the gate of heaven. And St. Ambrose speaks of it as that word of God in the epistle of Hebrews, where it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. This is a really provocative one because we realize that Mary conceived the word of God in her soul prior to her conceiving the word of God in her womb. So Mary is very full of the Logos. But what I want to offer to you today is the interpretation that the sword is nothing less than the love of God within her, right? And why do I say that? Well, we never grieve for something we don't love, right? If nobody grieves when they see, you know, some furry creature on the side of the road, you know, some rodent, something like that. No, you don't love roadkill. You don't grieve over that loss, something. But no, when you consider the loss of a loved one, you mourn. You can't help but mourn. That grief follows you, right? That grief can't have existence without that love. And so this description of a sword piercing Mary, her very heart, is is a violent expression because she loves so much. She has the love of God within her. 
And this is, this is what a pure heart is. When you're so centered on God that you become vulnerable, that your heart becomes susceptible to something as bizarre as a sword piercing it. And so by revealing this, we're being offered friendship with her. She's revealing to us something of her heart so that we, too, might be joined to her heart and able to suffer and to be pure and to offer that heart as a sacrifice. So it's undisputed in the Catholic tradition that if you draw close to Mary, you draw close to Jesus Christ. And friendship with her leads to this exchange of hearts where ours can be made pure by that communication, that prayer, that conversation we have with her. And made pure by the love of God, we can offer the sacrifice of our lives as a burnt offering in union with the Eucharistic sacrifice we will participate in here in just a moment.